Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like when it feels like you have all the power in a relationship, the allure of sex with strangers, and the line between needing to grow and being incompatible. Ooh. I know. When I was writing these, I was like, this is way more words than I usually put into these. <laughs> uh, but before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are just two English majors stuck in quarantine. Yep. Uh, who are amateurs at all of the things that we do. <laughs> yep, absolutely. What you guys don't know is that we rec- we're recording these in advance, but now we're like, we are recording in 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 real quarantine time, mm-hmm. um, which is to say Sam and I are uh, recording this virtually, like apart from each other, but also it's technically Easter morning and Willow hi- hid chocolate Easter eggs all over my house <laughs> and I'm on a wicked sugar high. Like she literally woke uh, me up and was like, I, she's like, I did something nice for you, but also if you eat them too fast, you're going to get a stomach ache. And guess what? <laughs> Both of those things are true. <laughs> yeah. You ate them too fast and you got a stomach ache. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and she did something nice for me, which is what I'm saying. Um, this is all to say we uh, are not professionals. We are not trained in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you are all the experts of your own experience. Um, so please take our advice as you see fit. We're only only here to offer our humble sugar high um, musings um, to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. So happy, happy technically happy Easter, but yeah, belated right. to belated <laughs> yeah. to everyone else. <laughs> everyone else is like, um, that was like two weeks ago. That is so last week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is the check-in topic today, Sam? Um, I can't believe that you don't want to talk about my mustache right now. Uh, girl, okay. First of all, <laughs> you posted that picture, and I like saw it at at a time that I was like really sleepy, and I was like, I literally don't have the energy to adequately <laughs> respond to the fact that Sam shaved a mustache. I think you look very um, like if you were in Mad Men, the French mm-hmm. version. Like I don't Ooh. think I don't think Mad Men. I don't think there is a French version, but like you look very like um, I work in the arts department of a corporate office <laughs> and my and my name is Francois. <laughs> um, that's really nice. Yeah. Do you like that? Is that like a good description? Because it's meant to be I a compliment. Yeah. I um, no, I really appreciate that. Like all of a sudden I was, I was like, wow, is Sam good at drawing? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> do you like it? Uh, what? Do you like the mustache? Um, yeah. I mean, I did it and was like, hmm, this is interesting. Um, and I've gotten nothing but positive feedback, but I also live in Minnesota. So like no one gives <laughs> negative feedback and no one no one has called it interesting yet. So um, I think I'm in the clear. Yeah. But- yeah. But I also the, the other reason why I didn't respond is because I couldn't like fully articulate what I wanted to articulate like kindly, which is that you are now the person who did something crazy to their hair at a very (laughs) dramatic time. (laughs) Like I wanted to be, Uh I wanted to be simultaneously. I wanted to be like, wow, you look like a sexy French artist. And also, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And also it's facial hair. So like it grows back very quickly. So it's not it's Don't not like I trimmed my bangs or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I definitely looked at um, like hair coloring kits and I was like, uh, you haven't colored your hair in like seven years, Sierra. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, you're obviously you just bored and feeling like traumatized. Well, something's going to need to happen with this hair because if I can't get it cut until like June 
Oh my god! Oh my god! What wild. are you gonna do? Okay. Anyway, know. offline conversation. <laughs> what is the check-in topic that's not your mustache? Okay. I'm just glad we got the time to talk about it. <laughs> uh, so the check-in comes from Emily T, who's writing from Minneapolis. Um, and Emily T basically just asks about what our sex ed experiences were like. Oh, what a great question. I know. And like, how how did we come into our understanding of sex? And then she also made a plug for um, the Unitarian Universalist Church and their um, sex ed program for all of the young folks that mm-hmm. are that go to that church. And it's called Our Whole Lives or OWL. Um, And she says it's just amazing and about so much more than simply sex, but also about healthy relationships, self-care, and even pleasure. I am so glad she brought that up because like, just like a general statement before I get into it, I know to everyone that like the combination of church and sexuality is often such like a triggering topic. Mm. But I had, um, I unfortunately did not get to experience um, the sex education that she's talking about, but I do know some people who did and some people who are teachers in their UU churches. Mm -hmm. And it is like the, from what, from, from my measly understanding of global sex ed practices, <laughs> it's one of the most progressive, to the point. Um, it, you know, the UU is like such a such a progressive church anyway, mm-hmm. or or community space even. Um, and that I guess they talk about like you know actual sex ed to the to to the umpteenth degree, um, and things like you know asexuality, masturbation, um, and and also like healthy relationships, like. I I will talk about my own sex ed, sex ed experience, but like TLDR, I really wish that I had learned about the things that you and I talk about really in high school. Like what if we had learned about attachment mm-hmm. styles or abuse and that like relationships aren't meant to look like control or they're not meant to look so intense and dramatic. Um, anyway, I'm so glad that uh, they mentioned that because I have heard really, really good things about the OWL program. Hmm. Um, uh, well, what about you, Sam? What was your sex ed experience? Uh, I mean, so my most of my sex ed came from school. Uh, like actual I, classes or like your yeah. classmates? No, like actual classes. And how um, old were you? I think we had the first sex ed class in... So I think we had like an optional sex ed class that like happened after school um, that my parents took me to, which thanks parents for doing that. Uh, yeah. When I was in fifth grade was probably like the first time that that happened. Were you mortified? Uh, I wasn't because I don't know that I like fully understood what it was. Um, but then we had sex ed in, I think, eighth grade. And then we had it again in like 10th grade. Wow, um, really? Yeah. And I'll say like kudos to uh, Kettle Marine High School in Delafield, Wisconsin. Uh <laughs> That at that time, like the sex ed was pretty, um, I would say, like clinical. So there was not a lot about like healthy relationships. Yeah. But there was, but like, I feel like I really understood the mechanics and like the science of sex. Yeah. Uh, which was good. Which so, is like, empowering. We had a, yeah. We had like an abstinence only person come and talk, but that was like once. Um, but otherwise, like I learned about. STDs. I learned about like which birth control is the most effective. Um, so like, I'm glad that I had that, but I wish that there had been like a yeah, healthy relationship know, right? component to it. Yeah. And <laughs> or then, if they had talked at all about any sort of other sexuality besides penis he- and vagina, yeah. heterosexual sex. Yeah. I will. 
I do. And I do want to say, I do think like OWL, there are programs out there that are starting to pair because like you, you and I always say like the emotions that come with sex, like the actual like connections that it makes in your brain, even if you're incredibly, um, not emotionally connected, you know, um, like it just does things to us. Um, I do think that programs are now like combining the two a lot more, but you know, our sex ed was happening what in the late, in the nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. 2000s. Early 2000s. Yep. yeah. Um, I am a hundred years older than you though. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'm a baby and you're an old person. <laughs> um, uh, but I want to ask one quick question before I talk about my own experience, which is actually very similar, except for a little bit more sparse. Um, I've always seen the memes on, on, uh, on like all the funny, like gay Instagram accounts that I follow of like a smug little boy smiling, like me during sex ed in high school, <laughs> you know, like being like, <laughs> I'm never going to get a girl pregnant sort of thing. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. did you experience that in high school? You're like, this is not for me. Uh, no, but that's because I was in a very high self-denial until about 10th grade. Ah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you're like, you're like taking copious notes, like the good student that you are. You're like, one day. Cool. I'm never having sex. Um, (laughs) I do not want to get genital warts, which like is a treatable condition. So like, yeah, I know. Like there's nothing shameful about that. Yeah. But the way it was presented to me was very shameful. Yeah. Um, that is very true. Like what if. I do wonder what strides we've made in sex education that are, you know, less fear-based and more, um, not like knowledge-based, I guess, mm-hmm. or compa- I don't know, compassion. I think about like the dare programs, um, or like, you know, the, the anti-drug movement that it was really like, oh my God, if you do, they were kind of trying to scare us like with puppets, mm-hmm. like, it, you know, <laughs> like Sally heroin over here is going to like make you, um, f- flunk out of school and be homeless or something like that. Instead of like talking about like addiction and like, um, right. I don't know the physical impacts of it on your body or whatever. Anyway, getting off topic. Um, my sex edge w- was pretty similar in that. I think I had, we had our first, we had our first, um, girls were pulled out of our classrooms in fourth grade to talk about our periods. Mm. Um, and that was like a private thing for just girls um yeah in the fifth grade one that we went to like after school that's what it was like the boys and the girls were pulled apart and like the boys talked about boners uh, yeah and like nocturnal emission yeah i think that was the first time that i realized like that that vaginas or, or vulvas i should say like um and sorry for the clinical sex talk we know that gender is more than the binary um but that like we would have like um, discharge. I w- I remember being like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like as a fourth <laughs> grader. Um, but, uh, uh, and then in sixth grade, we had the official sex ed, se- uh, like, um, I don't know, lesson or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Series. Yes. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. and the biggest thing that I remember from it is like the, the genital, um, drawings that we had to label and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm that my teacher wrote the word fuck on the board. Oh my God. I know. like <laughs> Scandalous. I know. He, he was like sixth grade science teacher and he wrote the word fuck on the board because he, I think he wanted us to get like the giggles out because like mm-hmm. his, his like, I don't know, five-year-old 
they were like in a um, locker room at the Y and the the kid saw it on the wall in graffiti and like said it out loud and was like, what's that, daddy? You know, or whatever. This is mm-hmm. a weird story that I remember. <laughs> this just proves that like adults are more uncomfortable than children are. Like, how is that like a good life lesson? <laughs> that, that that's what I remember from my sex ed experience. Um, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And so then the second thing is I... I know that we did more, like I think we did more, but I don't remember. I don't remember like a health class. I think there was a health class where we learned about STDs. Like we didn't in sixth grade, but we did maybe in like, I don't know, eighth or ninth. But Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I don't ever remember like putting a condom on a banana. And Mm. I, and I would echo your sentiments. I, I never remember talking about healthy relationships, anything like that. Um, yeah. So uh, to answer your question, Emily, like I think Sam and I both felt like it was covered, but it wasn't um, delved into adequately. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I felt I, I was left wanting more and feeling uncomfortable like that. I couldn't mm-hmm. ask about sex like that. It was like a giggly, yeah. shameful thing that you like whispered about in the hallways of your sixth grade classrooms you know for sure but i also think that that's just like how yeah kids fall into sex is like it is a giggle fest of course Um, and i think it's probably really hard for any sex ed teacher to like teach it in a way that doesn't like draw like embarrassment out of kids Mm -hmm. just because like there's so much shame that we learn immediately about like Mm -hmm. our private parts and like all of that um yeah, I mean, there's for sure ways that it could have been better. Totally. Um, and and I, to the second point, part of Emily's question, like, do, when do you feel like you came into your own understanding of your your sexuality? Um, I feel like I'm still coming into that understanding. Yeah, me too. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, it's sort of like uh, every day is a new journey in understanding, like, <laughs> <laughs> what I want out of sex. Um, yeah. And yeah, just, I think sex for me, like, and I've talked about this in the podcast before is like, is actually one of the places where I have the most trouble with the head and heart work. Yes, me too. Um, Just because there's so much stuff that I've learned and there's so much, I would say like trauma about sex. Yeah. um, That it's really hard for me to parse like, what is me being sort of uninterested in sex, like as a person, uh, and what is me not wanting sex because of like the trauma that's associated with, and I haven't figured that out. So, uh, Emily, when I find out, I'll let you know. Yeah, totally. Um, I agree. And, and I think you and I are on a very, like, we're very similar and very different in like a bunch of different ways. But mm-hmm. one of the ways that we intersect is that I think you and I realized doing this fucking podcast that like, or, or through our own lives, but like was articulated on the podcast that, um, we thought we were much more sexual beings or that sex was like a bigger love (laughs) language for us when really it was how we were taught that it was easy to be loved or accept, find, find acceptance. Um, and that that space weirdly enough is a space where you and I don't have to show up 
Like mm-hmm. we can, I can like half acid in sex. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to be vulnerable <laughs> in sex. You know, I can just like roll over and close my eyes. <laughs> oh my God. I have so much practice not showing up in sex. So much yes. practice. Isn't that so, okay. That's like a whole other thing that like maybe we shouldn't talk about on air. <laughs> um, but I remember you saying like when we did the Patreon series about love languages, the stuff you were saying about physical touch was like blowing my mind because... Yeah, I just I think through my lack of sex education and also the like cultural sex education that I got, you know, like through um, popular media and and through the gender education that I got just growing up as a little girl, I really conflated my understanding of what my job was as a woman with my own sexuality. And Mm -hmm. I, I spent the the later part, the last, you know, probably five to 10 years untangling that, you know, untangling like that societal edification to my own desires and, Mm -hmm. and what do I want? So to answer your question, Emily, um, we have no fucking clue. <laughs> yeah, right. We should really bring like a sex therapist onto the show or something yeah, totally. to actually talk through this stuff because uh, I feel like I feel inadequate in a lot of the advice we give. But like when it comes to sex, I feel but, very inadequate. You know what, though, Sam, what I was just going to say to like in closing is like I think that Sam and I's experience and the fact that we're in our 30s and we're still unpacking and, and like like discovering what our sexuality is is actually probably a little bit more comfort, like comforting to a lot of people mm. because um, a sex, like a sex therapist knows is educated in that went to school for that or, you know, like, and that's, but that, that is not the norm. That's, that is the, that is the 0.01% of the population. The rest of the population is like you and I, like, uh, what the fuck do I like? What, yeah. <laughs> you know, what does this mean if I like this? What does it mean right? if I don't want this? Mm-hmm. You know, am I, abno- am I abnormal? Am I di- desires abnormal? The rest of the fi- the world is just making up. Don't get me wrong. I also wanted to shout out the sex um, therapists and the sex, the sex educators who go into high schools and do the work that Sam and I were just talking about. Like you are all changing lives. And I think that that's such a cool profession. Um, but I like that we don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> especially in this, because it's like, it's, I think it's cool um, to, to showcase to people, you know, especially if I think about like my younger 22 year old self or something mm-hmm. that like, it's not like you become yourself and stay that way forever. It's like a constant un- unfolding. So, right. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. All right, Emily, thank you so much for writing, and we hope that answers your question. Good check-in topic. Uh, Our first, you ready to get in some letters, Sam? I am. Let's do it. Our first letter is from AP, who is writing to us from Boston. Hi, Sam and Sierra. First of all, I want to say how much I appreciate the kindness with which you respond to these submissions and your ability to hold space for all people, regardless of our flaws. I think it's so important to recognize that no one is beyond redemption and you both do that work with such care. I'm a senior in college going to law school next year. I'm a bisexual woman of color and I'm currently dating another woman of color whom I care deeply about. Before I get into our relationship, here's a little background about me. I've only had 
one real relationship before this one. And that was with a guy in high school who, looking back, I didn't really have any real feelings for. Oh my God, hashtag relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Except for like all of my 20s. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) We dated for a little over a year and broke up over an argument in which he called me, quote, aggressive, read opinionated. To be fair, I did tend to pick a little, um, pick little arguments with him when I got frustrated about the lack of emotions or intensity, question mark, that I felt in our relationship. Typical Aries me, LOL. Between that and my current relationship, it's just been a few situationships and then the odd hookup here and there. I started dating my current girlfriend, let's call her Alice, almost a year ago. We go to different schools and live a little over an hour apart by transit. I know I'm a stereotype of a queer women everywhere. Um, Alice is, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm surprised you haven't moved in together, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen to him. Keep dating. (laughs) We do nothing wrong, ever. Okay, anyway, that's the Gemini in me. Alice is the sweetest human being in the world. My friends all love her, which is really important to me. She's a year younger than me, which which I'm not used to, and which I think is contributing to the weird dynamic I've started to notice more and more. She's told me on a few occasions that she idolizes me. I think that this might be because we are in a lot of ways intellectually incompatible. I even feel like an asshole saying that. And she's mentioned growing a lot in our relationship because of the things she's learned from me. She speaks to me like she thinks I'm better than her somehow. And I constantly try to reassure her that she's incredible. It breaks my heart when she does this. Moreover, I don't want to be idolized. I want to be seen, understood, loved, and not idolized in this way. It makes me feel like I have to live up to some standard that I don't quite understand. We don't have sex either. Sex is important to me, and presumably it is to her too. When we spoke about this, she said that she didn't want to pressure me into anything, and I very explicitly told her that she wouldn't be, that I want to be with her. Nothing changed. I'm the kind of person who needs action items to make things better when something is wrong. And She just seems satisfied with concluding, quote, shit's hard, we'll work it out. I'm going to be leaving for soon for law school, which we both know, and yet my completely my heart is completely torn over all of this stuff. She's really important to me. Just now, literally like an hour ago, she canceled on a date last minute. She called me in tears, apologizing, and I felt as though I had to comfort her instead of working through my own feelings about it. That's how often it is. I'm upset. But I can't share with her that I am because it's not really her fault that she doesn't feel well and because I know she's a lot more emotionally fragile than I am. Besides, she's always doing really over-the-top romantic things for me, and I can tell it comes from a place of love. I'm trying to be careful, but sometimes it feels like I'm holding back for fear of breaking this equilibrium we've somehow found. Now, I know your answer in this case will probably just be, quote, just break up. And I don't disagree with you, but how in the world do I do that with someone who, for the lack of a better term, has become such an amazing friend to me? It feels like I have so much power over her, a notion which her she herself has suggested, and I don't want it. She has even said in the past, while she was headed home, that she was glad I hadn't broken up with her or that she was afraid I was going to break up with her a while ago. Again, I... I ended up reassuring her because I didn't want her to be upset and felt like shit that I had possibly made her feel insecure. What reason could I possibly have for breaking up with someone who has made so many caring gestures towards me? 
Any advice that you have for me to help me be as gentle as possible with her would be helpful. I've never had to break up with someone that I care this much about. I'm so anxious about all this and generally afraid that the deepest romantic attachment I'm capable of is brief infatuation. I feel like I'll never be satisfied and that feels so profoundly lonely. All right, AP, thank you so much for writing. Um, Sam, a quick question before we dive into this. Yeah. I, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Like to me, it sounds like AP has decided somewhere in their heart um, that they want to break up. Yes. Um, that seems clear to me too. Okay, cool. I feel like, I feel like AP figured it out through the course of writing the letter. That yeah, that yeah, is yeah, what yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she well, wants to do. <laughs> so I'm going to move forward with that, like mm-hmm. being a universal truth. I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page. Um, and, and maybe before we get into our advice, I'll say AP, like, um, you don't have to break up. Uh, it just, Sam and I are pulling from what you're telling us that right. you feel unhappy, that you don't feel like your natural, most authentic self in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. H- have you been in a situation like this where you feel like there is like a untouchable power dynamic that you can't even, you can't even put your finger on, but you like know is there in a relationship? Yes. Uh, so I, have been over the course of the last year or so um, trying to be really cognizant of what I call emotional labor Mm. um, because I feel like that is really undervalued in our society and that that a lot of people, including myself before this, um, like don't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, And AP, it sounds like you are doing a lot of emotional labor for Mm. uh, Alice. Um, And when I say emotional labor, for me, that means like, how are you adapting your behavior to um, help to her manage her own emotions? Mm. And I think that you are probably really good at this um, just based off of your letter. Like, I think that it's probably a place that you fall back on quite a bit um, is like, okay, how do I make sure that everyone around me feels emotionally at peace, right? Like, what can I do to help make sure that everyone uh, feels comfortable and feels good? Um, and I really identify with that because like, that's how I grew up too. Um, so I'm trying to be more cognizant of the emotional labor that I'm spending on people. And I'm asking myself as I spend it, like, is this a person that I want to, to spend all of this labor on, right? Mm. This labor is worth something to me. It takes something out of me. It does not allow me to be my full authentic self, right? And is this person worth that adaptation or is this person not worth that adaptation? Mm. Um, And so like, there are people in my life who I am happy to do this work for um, because I am good at it, right? And it's like a a strength of mine and I really like that about myself. But I have been trying to figure out where I can say no to that to people who don't deserve um, me to put that much work into it. Yeah. Um, So that's not really an answer to your question, but it's something that I've learned over the past year that I think would be helpful for you, IP, to like examine yourself just notice it when you're doing it. Ask yourself why you're doing it and if it's worth it. Um, and then figure out ways that you can put up boundaries between you and people that you don't want to do it. And I say yeah. that because it also helped me be a better partner to Peter because I was spending a lot less emotional energy on other people and could I could save it to spend more on us and our relationship, I right? Because I wasn't, right. I wasn't so drained when I came home from work when I, every person I talked to, I felt like I had to 
make sure that they felt comfortable and like handle their emotions for them. Um, and instead I could come back home and say like, how can I help us as a partnership, um, process through our emotions together. And I have so much more time and energy to be able to do that because I'm not spending it on people I don't care about. So, oh my God, I have like two, two things that I want to say, <laughs> but I yeah. had this like profound, um, revelation while you were just talking there that actually <laughs> connects to our conversation about sex and hear me out. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you think that you and I can fall into that like caretaking mode um, yeah. so easily? And oftentimes it is much less vulnerable for us mm-hmm. to caretake for someone else than to actually express our own boundaries and our own needs. Like sure. that takes, when I think about moving through the world and actually telling everyone, no, I cannot care for you or no, like I can't take this on for you or wow, that sounds like something that you should talk about with your therapist. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that seems way more terrifying and much more laborious, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's the lie that my anxiety tells me that that would be harder than it would be just to slip back into never saying no or never standing Mm -hmm. up for myself. Like when, when in reality, what you said is so true is, is that's, that's labor that we little labor that we do every day in every interaction um, that we have gotten so used to that oftentimes we don't even recognize that it's labor until we go to give to those who we really want to give it to. And we're empty. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I just think that's like such a profound um, revelation or, or what you shared feels so relatable to me. So what I was going to say also um, AP is that I, what I love about your letter is I actually relate to both people in it um, at Mm -hmm. different stages or different relationships of my life. I relate to UAP in that I have had partnerships um, or even friendships or relationships where I felt like everything I was doing was to keep them together or to Mm -hmm. keep them from either, either they were incredibly abusive and manipulative and everything I was doing was trying to keep them happy or Mm -hmm. they were really unhealthy. And I had yet to learn that I can't save people from their own mental illness, that, Mm -hmm. um, that I can be like a salve to them, but that ultimately that that is their journey that they need to walk with professional resources that I just don't have. Um, So I relate to that, but I think even more profoundly, I relate to your partner in that, um, in that anxious attachment style, in that I'm so afraid that something's going to go wrong. So you need to constantly tell me that something's not going to go wrong. And I, I have such low self-esteem that I need you to, to prove to me you're with me because you love me because I will never prove that to myself. I'll never like in my anxiously attached relationships, it was, I was, it was very unnatural for me to sit and think, wow, I'm so lucky that someone loves me. Instead, I would sit there and think, why do they love me? Why are they with me? I don't deserve any of this. Oh my God, I feel awful and anxious. They are the only ones that can make me feel better. Um, And you would agree that she, it sounds like she has an anxious attachment style. Yeah, I think so. Um, To be honest, she just sounds a little bit emotionally immature. Yeah. I, um, I would say that too. You're, I think you're okay saying that. Which is not, I don't want to say that that is a product of her age because we can be emotionally mature at any age. Right. Um, but I think, you know, and I, I have also been in Alice's shoes as well, where I have like really idolized my partner and have, um, 
and I always thought that he was like two steps ahead of me and like that I needed to emulate him and just wanted to be like him. Right. And, and he actually really took advantage of that and like tried to shape me in ways that were, mm. I think really problematic. So I just want to give you another shout out AP to say, like, I think it's, it's a, a marker of your emotional maturity that you are recognizing this dynamic and you are questioning how you, how you interact with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I know that this is a really tricky position to be in, but um, it sounds like you have a really good head on your shoulders and it sounds like you are really thinking about this in a, in a really mature way. Yeah. Um, and like, I think that this, the realization that you need to break up um, is actually a really mature one. Um, and so I just wanted to, to big you up a little bit because wow. I know that this is a really hard position for you to be in. Um, but I appreciate the, the compassion and care that you are uh, showing while you're trying to process through yeah, this. I totally agree. And I said, wow, earlier, because like, what a cool um, statement that like the decision to break up can be a mature one. I think, I think we always think of that decision as like an incredibly painful one or a mm-hmm. hurtful one, like that we are hurt by it, but instead it can be the manifestation of our maturity that we see that to go on in this, to like, to cling to the idea of love just because that's what we've been taught to do is not the healthy thing to do anymore. I I just, I like how simple Mm -hmm. that was. Um, and, uh, I, I also agree that I agree with your word immature before. And I, I wanted to add to that, um, because I, I'm like sensitive to that. I'm sensitive to a couple words. I'm sensitive to immature and I'm sensitive Mm -hmm. to, to selfish, um, like if somebody calls me selfish, I like break down. <laughs> um, but that's like my own baggage with that word. Um, but I, I think that it like, just like you said, selfish isn't a bad thing. Or excuse me. It, um, immature isn't a bad thing. Like we, we can be really hard on ourselves for behaving in one way, when in reality, we just didn't know another way yet. Like mm-hmm. I, I think of, right. I think we all could be so much more forgiving of ourselves in the learning process of what it means to be a human and what it means to be in a relationship with another human. We weren't b- born with these tools. So when Sam and I say she sounds a little bit like immature, it's because it's, it, it to me, it sounds like this is probably one of her first relationships similar mm-hmm. to UAP. Um, yep. And we're all just like exploring this together. Um, the other thing I wanted to say too, is that, you have been so mature and like thoughtful and caretaking in all of this. But Sam and I also want to give you space to say like, this sucks. Like, ugh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so exhausted from like tiptoeing right. around. Like, I, don't you deserve a partner that you can be your authentic, like messy self that like, don't you deserve a partner that you can, that you can fuck up around that they can mm-hmm. support you when, mm-hmm. when, when you need it. Uh, time out for, for sure. a second. I, I did hear, I did read something really cute, not cute, like empowering on the internet that was like, the idea that a relationship will always be 50-50 is unrealistic because mm-hmm. we go through phases in life, because things ebb and flow, that it is empowering to think that like, at one point in my life, I'm going to need Willow more than she needs me yep. or vice versa. Like she'll need me more when, you know, going through a medical crisis or, or whatever, you know? Um, and that was just like a small tangent that I remember reading a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. totally off topic. <laughs> no, that I, 
I think that's absolutely true though. But in this um, circumstance. Yeah. Having been through like the past year of marriage, oh, uh, yeah. year and a half. Uh, yeah. I can tell you that like it ebbs and flows for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So AP, uh, anyway, going back to making space for you to be like, I'm tired. Like I, I can't take care of this. I think what I would like to end on or end towards is the idea that Alice is their own person and Alice is going to hurt and heal with or without you. Mm. Like that, that if you hurt them and leave them, she's going to heal regardless. Like Mm -hmm. people's healing is not directly connected to other people. We can inspire healing. We can be supportive. But Alice is going to have their own full, wonderful life, whether you hurt them or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I also think AP, um, and this is something that I've had to learn over the past few years, you can't walk through this world not hurting people. Mm. It is impossible to uh, establish boundaries it is impossible to uh, take a step back from people or a step towards people sometimes without um, without making people upset or without hurting them. Um, and it feels like this sort of peacekeeping um, uh, identity is like really ingrained with you. Mm-hmm. But um, it's important to learn that like sometimes establishing boundaries, sometimes doing the healthy thing is going to feel like you're hurting a person. Mm. Um but it's something that you need to do. Uh, and I, I, you know, you sort of ask about how you can break up with Alice without making her upset. Um, that doesn't and the exist. Re- you, you can't do that, right? Um, but you need to establish some space for yourself. You need to take up some space. Um, and you need to figure out where you can go to find uh, the caretaker who's going to take care of you as a caretaker, right? right. Um, and that's that's challenging. Uh, but it's something that you should be looking for um, as you move into different relationships. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. I do wonder too um, if there's anything else I want to like. We want to say about that dynamic, that feeling mm-hmm. of like the scales are tipped and you can't tip them back. Like if somebody, I, 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 I do like in the letter how they bring up infatuation or like complete adoration of someone. Mm-hmm. And is there a way to like prevent that or is that wrong? Like, I- I'm not sure in my heart. I feel like that's not necessarily wrong. You know, like it's not wrong of Alice to feel that way, mm-hmm. but I do know how those, those dynamics can s- sometimes accidentally poison it. Maybe, maybe to the Alice's out there, just remember that you are deserving of all of the praise and adoration that you give your partner. And that if it's mm-hmm. not, if it's not returned to yourself, if you don't feel like you deserve this person, then then there, you need to fill up that inner reservoir of self love, if if possible. And um, because I'm afraid that would that would poison the dynamic. You know, mm-hmm. is there anything profound and articulate you can add to that? <laughs> uh, no, I mean I think it just goes back to understanding. Um, sort of what our definitions of success are or mm. what our definitions of of um, like coolness are, right? Oh, yes. Um, and understanding that we all come into relationships with an amazing amount of strength 
and um and and like awesomeness to bring to every relationship and it may not look like making the most money it may not look like going to law school next year it may not look like um sort of being really emotionally present right but we all bring different strengths to every relationship um and it's important for us to recognize those selves those things in ourselves so that we can make sure that our partners also honor those strengths as well yes um and so this is not to you, AP, but to Alice, right? Like you bring other strengths to this relationship. And it sounds like AP has been trying to to tell you about to those things. Them, yes. Absolutely. So again, shout out to you, AP. Um, but Alice, like you also bring those things into those relationships as well. And so people who are listening to this and thinking about uh, that person that they really like that feels way out of their league because of all of these, this list of amazing things about them, like you also bring in a list of amazing things with you everywhere that you go. Um, and so ask yourself, why are you valuing certain things over other things? Where was that taught? Yeah. How can you unlearn that understanding yeah. of the world to be appreciative of all of the different strengths that people bring into different relationships? That's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. And I want to, <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was like. Can you like mash all these thoughts into like a nice eloquent thing? Um, uh-huh. One thing I wanted to add to, as I was saying that out loud, I even felt my own self like get parent because I am anxiously attached. Like that's what I work on every day, especially yep. in quarantine. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I wanted to say too, like to add to that direct statement that you, that you just closed on to the Alice's out there. And if you're, if you're hearing this and you're starting to panic, like, oh my God, my, my love of them is, and my anxious attachment style is going to poison our relationship. Cause that's what Sierra DeMolder said on just break a pod, like (laughs) deep breath. You deserve all of this. Just like Sam said, like you bring so many gifts to this relationship um, and your worry is is not going to poison anything. In fact, do what Sam said, like reflect on why, why jump to worry, to fear, to scarcity before you jump to abundance. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe that's what we can close on. Um, AP, uh, good luck. Uh, good luck at law school. Um, it sounds like you have a really special heart. Um, for sure. We love you so much. Thank you so much you for do. writing. Thanks, AP. Spring has sprung and summer is just around the corner. Packing your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, this year there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And get this, there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era, historical fiction, my absolute favorite, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you will always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash justbreakup. Dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes from RIP My Monogamy, (laughs) (laughs) who is writing from. Take a moment of silence. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Dearly beloved. Uh, No. 
I am hysterical. I'm sorry. I looked away for a second and I thought you were reading from the letter. And then I realized that was your own organic joke. And I just want to say that was one of your top 10 podcast jokes ever. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Uh, RIP writes, I am 29 and married. For the first nine years that my spouse, he and they, and I were together, I was monogamous and happy with it. Last year, I had a six-month affair with a coworker, they, them. I developed sexual and romantic feelings for I'm working on forgiving myself. I understand how the loneliness I felt after moving to a new city made me reliant on my affair partner. Also that being loved and falling in love with a hot ass human is potent stuff. My goal is to get a place where I am less likely to have an affair in the future because of the lessons I learned from this one. I am lucky to have a therapist to help me through all of this. Therapy is helping me learn what I want to leave in the past and what I want Mm. in my future. With the support of my therapist, I stopped the affair to focus on my marriage. Even though I still loved my affair partner, I felt increasingly that I was making the wrong choice to see them while I was married. Also, candidly, I wanted a deeper relationship with them, but I knew I'd never get it if I stayed married. I decided the right thing to do was to end the affair and see what positive changes were possible in my marriage. When I told my affair partner my feelings, they were sad but supportive. I revealed the affair to my spouse shortly after that and ceased all contact with my affair partner. We've been processing it together in couples counseling and outside of it for five months. Since coming clean about the affair, I brought to my marriage some things I discovered were important to me over the last year, like an interest in cultivating a local community, picking up new hobbies, and exploring BDSM. I feel proud of my progress to forgive myself and move forward to the life I want, but I also feel like my progress is stymied by the love I have for my affair partner. Mm. Even though we haven't had contact, I feel connected to them and unready to let go. I feel haunted by my continued desire to be with them, as well as a new betrayal by my heart and groin, a strong curiosity and pull to explore intimacy with other folks too. I haven't acted on it. I'm learning. I did discuss the possibility of opening my, our marriage with my spouse, but he does not want to try it, especially after the affair. I feel overwhelmed and sad because the pull to be with other people, including but not limited to my affair partner, is stronger than my desire to be with my spouse sexually. Our sex life right now is a dumpster fire, mostly because I do not feel interested. Mm. I have struggled with similar feelings for a long time, so while it has gotten worse recently, our sex life has been aggressively waning for many years. He is working tremendously hard to listen to what I need, and we've both made changes to our relationship better to make our relationship better outside the bedroom. But inside it, I struggle to feel interested in sex, even in a meeting a basic need way. My question is, is it bonkers to leave my marriage for the smidgen of hope that I have that I could have a better sexual connection with my affair partner or someone else with whom I feel a spark? How much of this is just being in love with new love compared to a 10-year relationship? Lastly, hat tip to my therapist. What am I sacrificing if I pursue a relationship with my affair partner when I have all these new sexy revelations about myself that could lead me down a path I have only started to conceive of? The real question is, are any of these good enough reasons to leave a marriage? Also, since I know what I'm supposed to do if all else fails, any tips on how to break up? All notions in that direction have not gone well. Mm. <clears throat> gone well. Sorry. <laughs> What was that, Sam? Oh, my voice just cracked like a pubescent <laughs> boy. Uh, it's the mustache. <laughs> it's the mustache. That's right. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, RIP, thank you so much for writing and for being so vulnerable in your letter. Uh, yeah. Okay. So TLDR, is it bad to get divorced? Di- voice. Voice. Wow. <laughs> 
It's it's the candy. <laughs> um, you know what's so funny is while I'm recording this, I'm I'm sitting in my living room and I see two chocolate eggs that I didn't find. And so they're just like haunting me. <laughs> yeah, don't eat those. I can't reach them. I'd have to get up and get them. But they I am That's gonna good. eat them the second we're done recording. <laughs> Hello, stomach ache. Um, okay. Is it bad to get divorced because of the possibility of sex with others or for the possibility of sex? with others um let's talk about abstractly first and then Mm -hmm. let's talk about um rip's situation cool sure so uh i think i know your answer um but i'm gonna say no sex is it's not bad sex is important sex is an important part of your or life or as important of a part of your life as you want it to be but sex does not make a relationship and it sure shit doesn't make a marriage. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I would agree with that too. I mean, I think if, um, if sex is something that is really important to you um, and you're not getting it in your marriage, then it's perfectly acceptable to leave that marriage because of it. Right. Like it's in the same way that it would be if you needed um emotional support and your partner weren't giving it to you or if you uh, needed someone who uh, could help take care of you when you're sick and your partner's not doing that right like all of the things that we um, have needs for uh, that we need from other people if your partner's not giving that to you um, then it's okay to to break up right like we all have the right to break up with people for whatever reason right Mm. like there's no there's no divine arbiter of who gets to break up with whom, right? Like we just, we are all people moving through this world and we all have control and autonomy over ourselves and our relationships. Um, And so, you know, I would think really carefully about what you're doing and why you're doing it. But at the end of the day, it is absolutely your decision and your prerogative to end your marriage if you want to. Yeah, I agree. I think that a younger me would would say would be a little bit more affirmative and like a yes this is a deal breaker for me mm-hmm. um because you know as a lot of you know i was in a, a long term loving relationship that i felt unfulfilled by um mm-hmm. and like unconnected um physically and that was that that really weighed on me and also it manifested in in negative behavior on my part and and manifested in in this feeling of wanting it when when really you you shouldn't be left wanting in a relationship well actually maybe that's not true like in a marriage maybe a marriage is navigating those feelings of wanting and figuring out what your true authentic needs are versus what your desires are Mm -hmm. um would you agree to that married person I think so. I also think um, your partner is never going to be everything Everything. that you need them to be, right? Because we're all people who bring our own stuff into relationships, right? And so that's why I always talk about like, where can you find some of the things that your partner might not be able to give you with friends or family? Um, And I think think that's what you're trying to do here, RIP, right? You're trying to say, how can, if my partner can't give me the the type of sex that I enjoy that I like really want to pursue. Yeah, that can I, I find explore. it elsewhere? Yeah, right. Um, and your partner has said no to that, uh, and I think that's really where we're 
yes, at in I this. Agree. Like that's like the brass tacks of this is that um, you have sort of said like this is something that I've need. I need um, you are not giving it to me, and I would like to seek it with some with other people while being in relationship with you. And they've said no. So right. those are like the the facts as they are. Yeah. Um, and now it's up to you to decide like is this sex with with other people worth giving up all of the other things that my partner brings for yeah. me. Um, and, and honestly, like sometimes it is, you are 29 and you've been with this person for all of your twenties. Um, and, and so I also think that this question is different at different stages of your life and your life mm-hmm. experiences. Like I think somebody in, um, like, for example, if somebody has been with their partner, exclusively or or whatever for 10 or 20 years that's a little bit different than like in in my relationship right now I feel very I don't feel at high risk for like a wandering eye because I had a really fun 20s if you know what I mean (laughs) you know what I mean like right now I don't desire what you're desiring RIP not that I don't relate to it I, I completely relate to it but I don't have that same um, desire to explore, um, because I did explore. So I do think that time, like where you are in your life, um, we, you, you and I have even gotten some letters from people who have gotten divorced in their, you know, late forties who say like, I need to find myself now, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because I dedicated the first 30 years to, to somebody else, you know? Um, so I, I think timing, time, the the where you are in your life definitely changes the weight of the decision i think too because because ultimately rip you deserve your life you deserve yep. your desires um life is short and you and the length of a relationship should not outweigh the quality of it exactly i also um agree with your therapist on this too about um, I want you to look at this not as a situation between choosing between your husband yes. and your affair partner, um, because because that is a scarcity mindset um, that tricks us into making decisions that are not fully cognizant of the abundance that exists in the world, right? And so uh, this is not an either or p- situation right now. Yes, this is a uh, are you being fulfilled in the way that you need to be fulfilled? And if not, how do you uh, set yourself up to be able, able to find that in the world? That right? has come and I, up so much lately in some of these letters of like these false dichotomies of, well, if I can't, you know, I, and I also think RIP that that your remembrance of your affair partner, um, while that may be true and authentic, I do think that it is in the glow of like it is glowing in the face of your un, like unhappiness with your, with your yeah, partner for sure and that's and that is the trick that our our minds play on us so right like i want you to look at this situation and say you know the real choice here is between staying with my partner and not being able to seek out uh sex with other people because that is apparently off the table and being by myself figuring out how to rebuild after this mm-hmm. uh growing my understanding of myself so that I can be so that I can be better at finding a partner that fulfills the things that are really important to me. Right. Um, 
And like, I think that that, that is a healthier choice to, to decide between. Mm. Um, and so would, would encourage you to think about it in that way. Uh, but I don't think you need to feel any sort of shame about wanting to leave a relationship that's yes. not fulfilling for you. Yes. Um, and just because it's about sex doesn't mean that it's any less valid than if someone was not showing up for me emotionally or not showing up for me in a in a intellectual way, yes. right? Like we all all of the reasons that we have and all of our needs are important. Um, and so just because it's about sex doesn't mean that it's like tawdry or yes. like made up or like gross uh, or like shameful. Yeah. Shameful in any way. Right. Like you've, uh, you've identified. It's, it is that, valid. Period. For sure. Yeah. And you've identified that this is important to you. And I think that that is great. So don't let other people's shame or other people wanting you f- to feel shame about this to, to cloud your decision. Mm-hmm. Like you are absolutely justified in wanting to have good sex because you think it because it's important to you right and you value it and that's that's totally legit and justified do you have any advice um for rip or like i don't know me (laughs) um (laughs) in in past relationships um i have felt where i had like a sexual disconnect i felt like it was impossible to 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 get it back, like to, Mm. to get where I needed it to be. Like I either felt like my partner was just too on one side and I was on the other, or there was too much like emotional distance and baggage between us. Um, and, or I felt, or I felt everything you just said, where I felt ashamed for asking for different sexual things. Like I didn't want to make my partner uncomfortable, like our first letter writer, (laughs) Um, I just feel like it's, it's actually almost similar to the power dynamic in, in AP's letter that like, sometimes that, that, that disconnect, the distance between two people feels unable to, to be mended. Like it it feels Mm -hmm. impossible to, to write it, to write the ship. Um, and I felt that way in power dynamics before. And I've definitely felt that in a sexual dynamic before, and I'm sure that RIP feels that way because like save going to a sex therapist which you all could definitely do um in fact i was gonna like recommend that as a resource if you if you want to stay in your marriage um like i'm not sure how to break i i think what i'm trying to say is sometimes when intimacy is fractured or 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 turned cold or like there's there's been there's a wedge in between it it's so hard to mend that because it Mm -hmm. means like the ultimate vulnerability, which is like having shitty sex or asking for what you want or ask, telling your partner that you don't like their, their, what they do sexually. Like it's just so vulnerable. And sometimes that, that intensity of vulnerability feels um, unmanageable. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. I mean, can you help us all? (laughs) No, because like, <laughs> I'm not an expert in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think it's like, so a couple things is like uh, open and honest communication, right? Going to therapy, going to a sex therapist. Like, I think, I think that we, if, I think if we treat sexual intimacy in the same way that we treat emotional intimacy, right? With the same level of value and care, um, I think some of the same things will be helpful. Like getting outside help, being super honest and communicative, um, being willing to like learn and try new things. But I also think that it can also be as um, traumatic or even yes. 
as inconquerable as as emotional problems too, I right? Totally like agree. if my spouse continued to not show up for me emotionally over and over again, like that would be a really big issue yes. for me. That would take for a lot for me to get over that. And I think same thing, like if if your partner continues to not show up for you sexually in the way that you need them to, um, like that can also create a high level of trauma of wall building um, yes. that is also hard to, to tear down. So like it takes time, it takes conversation, it takes outside help sometimes, right? But we need to, but it's to, so to say that also it's like, then it's also okay to step away if you don't think that you have the time or space or desire to conquer that thing together anymore, right? Yes. Like you can also decide like there's too much here that has hurt and I need to find, I need to move on and move away from this thing that has hurt me too much. And that's okay too. I totally agree. I love that. Okay, y'all. I feel like that was taking me to like sexual trauma church, you know, I like know, in right? a healing way. <laughs> um yeah, like just timing out from that, from the letter for a second. I, I mm-hmm. That is something that I carried r- for a really long time of this feeling of like this inability to ask for more in bed but all, and this fear too, but also the inadequacy of it, that the not getting enough of not getting what I wanted um, made me act out outside of my relationship, but also it felt unfixable and it made me feel guilty because it was sex. Like how could I leave a good relationship Mm. because of sex? Like how, how could I do that? When in reality, like I, I, I wasn't getting fulfilled in so many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. I just wasn't allowing myself to feel legitimate. And so maybe that's what RIP needs is that like your needs are legitimate. For real. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that was a learning experience. <laughs> RIP. <laughs> um, you are in a very challenging place and you're facing some very challenging decisions. But the amazing thing is, no matter how challenging they are, Sam and I know that you are capable of making a decision that represents your authentic and valid desires. You're capable mm-hmm. of it all. And we love mm-hmm. you. We love you. Thank you so much for writing. All right. Our last letter is from Anonymous Anonymous, who is writing to us from the void. Dear Sam and Sierra, self-love always seemed like an abstract ideal for me, one to strive for and work towards, but one that I didn't have a model or even words for in order to use them with myself. Then wham, about a year ago, along comes your podcast smack dab into my world which has been equal parts comedy and therapy for me. Though I do have my own healing practitioners that I work with, I am a completely different, more loving, oh God, I'm crying, (laughs) more loving person towards myself and others in part because of the two of you. The work that you do is so immensely radical and impactful, as I'm sure you already know, but I had to express my gratitude to you personally to start off this letter. So thank you. I love you both, you Gemini angels. Okay, get it together, Sierra. Yeah, that's so sweet. <laughs> that is just so profound and beautiful. Uh, 
As for my question, I recently started dating someone from out of town who also travels frequently for work and who is away for weeks at a time. And I've noticed that as we've gotten closer and more intimate, those periods right before he leaves tend to bring up a lot of anxiety from in me that prevents me from feeling 100% safe fully leaning into our connection because I have to brace for those periods of change. After a while, I was able to ride out those feelings with a little cocktail of reason and measured self-awareness, quote, oh, those are just your abandonment issues talking, end quote, coupled with self-care practices to help me feel more grounded, quote, ah, my dear abandonment issues, it's okay, I love you, plus candles and bubble baths that turn me into a prune, hey, (laughs) I've never related to a single sentence more. (laughs) I will say that despite his physical absence, another reason I have been able to do such protective healing with myself has been due to the fact that he is so emotionally present with me, lots of texts and phone calls and loads of empathy, which definitely helps me feel safe as it provides a logical counterpart for my mind to focus on as contradictions to my anxieties. I love that sentence. Mm-hmm. I do tend to prefer relationships with people who can be a part of my daily life because of my attachment style. So I'm not positive that the relationship itself will last very long, which I'm okay with. However, I made the choice that for the time being, however long or brief that might be, I would consciously engage in this relationship despite my preferences because for, of the fruitful ground of, for healing work with myself that it has provided me, plus the added bonus of his emotional intelligence and care. I mean, how could I pass that up? I am an avid head and heart worker. So the entire situation got me thinking more broadly about where the line is between when it is my responsibility to heal with a little inner child work and self-care or conversely, when certain situations or behaviors from a partner are signs of a greater incompatibility, the responsibility of my partner to address and adjust, etc. When certain situations or behaviors from your partner trigger your deeper issues, How do you discern whether the onus is on you to heal independently or whether it is a sign of incompatibility, a.k.a. time to just break up? When when is it solely your issue to address versus your partner's duty to change? And how much change is too much in either instance? Where's the line between thinking that says only you are responsible for your reactions and emotions and the fact of interdependency? Relationships are so cool because you get to chew on moral, ethical, and physiological dilemmas like this one. And I would love to hear your thoughts so that I and your dear listeners may be able to apply them to their relationships in the future. Thank you truly from the bottom of my heart. Oh, shoot. It says, P.S. If you decide to read this on your podcast, you can call me Flower. Okay, Flower. I love that. (laughs) Flower, you little skunk. (laughs) You would love that movie. Um, yeah, go ahead and make a joke. <laughs> um, no, there's no joke. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, Flower, I think that that is such a great question. And it's definitely a question that you and I have either like tiptoed around in answering some questions, you know, like when we get questions about like, oh, my boyfriend is doing this or my girlfriend is doing this or my partner is doing this, like what how much inner head and heart work do we have to do and how much can we ask of our partner? And just like, just like you said, the moral question of it, like, where do you strike the, I, I just think it's such a fascinating question. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I also say like bit of transparency, if you don't um, subscribe to us on Patreon, um, I had a lot of my um, codependency issues come out with Willow being at home all the time. Um, and so I have had to do a lot of similar things, um, Flower, in terms of like when I feel triggered um, to feel like, oh, my God, I'm annoying my partner or or um, I need to do these grand gestures to make sure that she loves me. Um, you know, I, I feel anxiety when um, we need to take like time apart from each other. But even though like time apart is always really good for us. Um, I have had to do a lot of inner work to make sure that my triggers that I know are irrational, um, and I know my partner loves me and I know that we, we are very strong and good. So I've had to do a lot of inner work these past couple of weeks of quarantine to make sure that I am not like enacting my trauma or my triggers on her unfairly. Um, because, uh, yeah, because that would be unfair. However, there is a place that there, there is a world in which like we can ask our partners of things. Willow, when that stuff always comes up, Willow always, always says like, well, what can I do? What can I do? But what I tell her is that I'm trying to get to a place where you don't have to do anything. Like you, you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to do anything. You're like moving about your day normally in a loving, kind way. And I'm over here like, oh my God, like our engagement's going to be off. She's going to, you know, like it, that's, it's all irrational. And I've, I've, I've told her, I've used, I've used the exact words. Like I need to learn how to self soothe so that I'm not always dependent on you to fix my triggers for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That being said, I don't know where the line is and I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I have become very anti rules. So I, feel really uncomfortable saying like, this is exactly where it should yeah. be, right? Because every person and every relationship is different. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think what I love about like what your, that story of you and Willow is like, you recognize the need for you to be able to adapt on your own and like change your behavior because you're not, you are not showing up in the way that you want to be showing up. Yeah. And also Willow is like creating the space is helping you create the space for that. And also saying like, yeah, but also I know that this is something you're going through. So like, I'm here for you if you need me to show up differently. Um, And I think that that is really what is important for me in these types of things. Like I need to recognize that, like, I need to be really clear with myself about how I want to show up and be present in my relationship um, and like be constantly working towards that. But I also need a partner who's going to be able to like help me with that too Mm. so that I can process through what I'm going through in a way that doesn't elicit judgment or fear or shame, but just like, here's what I'm going through. Uh, I'm working on it. Here's what would be helpful for me, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you have that, right, like I think that that is the marker or at least like the basis of growing a healthy relationship where people are growing independently, but also being supportive of each other. So that's what I would say in this. It's less like, here's the line that we need to make sure that we're not crossing, but recognizing like, what is important to you about relationships? How do you want to be showing up in it? Um, And if you're in a place where the relationship is preventing you from doing that, 
uh, then that is when you decide, like, is this a relationship worth staying in? Yeah. Right? Um, and so if you are in a relationship where, um, where your abandonment issues are being triggered over and over again, and the relationship or your partner is not able to help you process through that, or there's not space in there for you to be able to like work through that. Like that's a line for me that, that says no, but it sounds like your partner is being really helpful for you is showing a lot of empathy sounds like you have the space in this relationship to reflect and say, like, do I want these abandonment issues to be driving me all of the time? Or do I want to set myself up to be able to respond rather than react in these situations? I think two things that I pulled out of there that I want to reiterate, too, is that I totally agree, Sam. There are no rules that it's so nuanced to each person Mm -hmm. um, that it. And, and, and I would say too, that like the, the ways in which I treat and tend to myself change in relationships too, based on Mm -hmm. what is being triggered and how safe and nurturing that partner is. Um, And the second thing I was going to say too, is that compatibility does have something to do with this. Like I I can do all the help, the head and help, help, head and heart work that I want, um, but I can't be with a partner um, who takes advantage of my codependency, who mm-hmm. um, doesn't encourage me to um, feel whole without them. Uh, you know, I can, again, like Sam and I have talked about how we fall back on behaviors in in relationships and that like the head and heart work process is an ongoing, ever applicable thing. You know, this person doesn't sound incompatible to you, Flower, um, because of how you're growing and changing as a human. Um, but compatibility for me definitely has something to do with how I respond to my triggers. And and to mm-hmm. kind of add to what you said, Sam, Willow is compatible to me because she makes it safe for me to deal with these triggers on my own. Like she's 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 not doing the work for me. She is no longer the salve for my anxiety, but she Mm -hmm. does tell me that it's okay to, to take care of myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and she, and, and and honestly, the, the transparent thing to add too is that when I really, really need her, she'll tell me that it's okay. You know, when Mm -hmm. I, when I am in, when my well of resilience is tapped and I'm feeling very anxious and very insecure, She'll hug me and kiss me and tell me, of course, I'm not going to leave you, honey, you know, <laughs> but the goal is for her. Um, and honestly, I can say this now that like, now that we're like her proposing and us getting married, it's it shifted something in my anxiety that like it was it's it's like not about a ring and it's not about the institution of marriage, but the or the proposal or whatever. But it it did. If it has his. It's it shifted something in me where I feel like we're really building something instead of um, just enjoying our time together. Um, mm. And that has alleviated some of my codependency anxiety. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is not something that I struggle with very routinely, but it does flare up. It is just like Flower says that this is just part of my triggers or part of my trauma. Um, yep. uh, and, and it's definitely come up lately with the quarantine and the global shitstorm that we're in. Um, but yeah, super fascinating. Yeah, it I, is. And I think, I think we also need to recognize that like sometimes the circumstances of relationships um, may take two people who otherwise might be compatible and make them incompatible. Yes. Right? Oh my God. So profound. Yep. 
and I think um, we got a question like this when we did our our Instagram live, mm-hmm. which I like wanted to be able to delve into more, but we were on live and yeah, we only have an hour. We were getting like <laughs> so many questions, um, but it was like um, you know somebody was talking about how they they really they met this really amazing person in and then and they like dated for a month and then they went into quarantine and now they're like not doing well. Mm. Um, and like, how do you come to terms with that? Um, and I said something like, well, you just need to accept that. Like, you know, there are things in relationships that make people incompatible. So like, it might be somebody smokes too much weed, or it might be that somebody like is, uh, living in a different place. Um, and, and there are circumstances that come into our lives that, that change what would normally be a, perfect relationship into something that's not perfect. Yeah, like this extraordinary global experience that we're all experiencing for the first time. For sure. And there are also things and those things are outside of our control. So like we can't we can't control this epidemic. We can't control how much weed our partner smokes. We can't control where that person lives. We can't control if they have to leave for business every month mm. and it causes us anxiety, right? And so I think sometimes we think about breakups as like, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, or like there's always someone to blame for the breakup. Uh, but sometimes there is no good guy or bad guy in a breakup, right? Like sometimes breakups are just because of the circumstances in which the relationship exists. So yeah. like if there's not fertile ground for a relationship to grow, it's not the fault of either person for not watering it enough, mm. right? It's just that the ground itself isn't fertile. And so I want to make sure flower, um, to say like, it's great that you are doing all of this careful tending of this relationship and yourself and and that your partner is doing the same thing too. Right. But it is possible that just the circumstances of this relationship, um, aren't working. And that doesn't mean that either of you has failed at the relationship. It just means that the, that the ground on which the relationship was built wasn't enough to sustain it. And that's hard, but, but I think sometimes, thinking about it in that way rather than as, well, I put all of this this stuff into this relationship. Like we're both trying really hard. Like why is it not working right? Um, and instead just say like, it's not working right because the circumstances just aren't working. Right. Um, and that's sad, but I, I think it brings me some level of comfort to say like, well, it's sad, but it also relieves me of the, of the duty to constantly be trying to tend something that's, that's, weak and sickly, but it's because of the ground and not because of the amount of watering and yes. pruning that I'm doing to it. Great metaphor. And her name is flower. I love it. <laughs> that is, and it's also like a more, um, like a zoomed out more, um, uh, broad way of looking at what we say when we say not everyone is meant for us. Like even the people we feel mm-hmm. most drawn to, or even the people that we really wanted to make it work, Sometimes it's circumstance, sometimes it's experience, sometimes it's a timely incompatibility. Um, And while we are all responsible for our own healing um, and head and heart work, sometimes we don't have to do, we don't have to force ourselves into those experiences of extreme growth. Instead, um, we can gift ourselves with with the people that make us feel whole as is we are whole. Even as we grow, you are, you are whole flower. Even as you explore some of these triggers, some of these nuances of you. Mm. Um, do you think that like, just to like 
summarize this into just one small question. Um, what do you think about that, that quote that they included about like that our own healing is our own responsibility? Mm -hmm. I think that that's true at the end of the day. Right. right. But I also think, um, I think that what I looked for in a partner, that's not true. What I found <laughs> in a partner, um, that has really helped is that like, yes, it is a hundred percent my responsibility, but I have found someone who is there for me to help me process through that responsibility. Mm. Um, and like, he's not, it's not his job to fix him or fix me. Right. And at the same time, it's like not my job to fix him too. Right. right? Cause neither of us is broken and needs fixing. Um, but it's like, but it is nice to have someone who's like in your camp, who's like ready to help support you, who can make some of that head and heart work a little easier Yeah, because they can, they can soothe the angry child inside us mm -hmm. in the way that that angry child wants to be soothed. Yeah. Right? And guess what? Like we all need other people. I used to feel so ashamed of how motivated I was by other people. I used to feel like that was a weakness in me because it was mm. like, Oh, I'm just like not authentic, authentic and independent enough to like want to heal for myself. And while, while the roots of that should be like nourished, like I should address the root of that. It is okay that like I I'm profoundly impacted by other people that I am mm. also motivated by other people that the the right people in your life will help you in this journey right. and not take advantage of your weaknesses like mm -hmm. the healthy people in your life are going to help you love yourself more it's not their responsibility but they will assist in that journey That's right yeah Cool. What a great question, Flower. Thank you so much um, for writing. We really appreciated the discussion and we love you. We love you. Thank you so much. Okay. That wraps up this episode and brings us to the blind date portion of the show. Every episode, we want to shout out something we love that we want to set you up with. This week, we're going to send you home with... A podcast called Stay F Homekins. Um... <laughs> stay, say it again. <laughs> Stay F. Homekins. Oh, it cute. is hosted by um, a comedian named Paul F. Tompkins, who is one of Peter's favorite comedians cute. in the world. Um, and it's his quarantine podcast. So it's co-hosted by him and his wife while they're in quarantine. Lovely. Um, and it is just like the cutest, most wholesome, funny thing um, where it's just the two of them sort of talking about what their lives have been like during the quarantine, but in a way that's not like gloom and doom, but just in like you're playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Tell me about Animal Crossing. <laughs> or like uh, um, his wife, Janie, is really into true crime. And so like they talk about some true crime stuff. And like it's just for me, it's really nice to listen to two very naturally funny people um, interact in like a very intimate and personal way. Like they are married to get to each other. Right. Like they're just having conversations that spouses would have. Mm. Um, and it's just really sweet to see like a glimpse of their sort of emotional intimacy with each other and like feel a little bit of camaraderie with like, yep. Like this is what I talk to Peter yeah, about totally. too. Like I talk about this video game because like nothing else is happening in our lives. So like, we're just talking about the things that we are like right in front of us. Um, and his wife, Janie, who I am not super familiar with is super funny. She's an actress, but she also drinks martinis throughout the whole podcast <laughs> and she calls them her weekend water. Um, oh my God. That's so funny. And so it's hilarious because she gets like drunker and drunker. Um, 
And it's just, it's so adorable. Like she's so earnest and, and cute. Um, and it's just, it's been bringing me a little bit of like companionship of course. and um, joy during this time of like gloom and doom and isolation. So yeah, totally uh, check it out. It's called Stay F. Homekins um, with Paul F. Tompkins and his wife, Janie. Um, yeah, check it out. Lovely. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Breakup Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship meme, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Yeah, and that's okay. it. <laughs> There's like a pause there. Please uh, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review, uh, and please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you get an additional bonus weekly episode, as well as other goodies if you support us at higher levels. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally helps keep the lights on, and it helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, and producing by our amazing badass friend, Big Cats. Make sure to check out his podcast, The What If Podcast. And remember, you are capable of making decisions that need to be made. You are capable of making difficult decisions. You are capable of considering all of the options and details carefully and you are ready to take the necessary action to claim your own reality. You can also embrace wholeheartedly whatever happens following those decisions and your choices because you know you showed up for yourself. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>